A number of weeks ago, a friend of mine, whom you know, but I won't mention her name because I am recording this sermon and she might not appreciate her name being given on the internet, although she's on Facebook, so I guess she wouldn't care. Um, She posted something on Facebook and I read it and went, hmm, that sounds interesting. And so I went to the link that she provided because it was a song that she said she thought was really cool. And I went to the link that she provided and I listened to this song and it immediately became my favorite song. I absolutely love this song. And I decided back weeks ago that I wanted to preach a sermon about this song. Now, if you remember, because it's been three weeks since I've been in this pulpit, if you remember, I'm preaching a series of sermons right now called on what's called What Is. And so this sermon that I'm going to preach to you this morning is What is Wrong with This Song? So I would like you to listen to the song. And Lord willing, everything's going to work out the way it's supposed to, because, okay, looks like it's going to. Hey! 
I watched your faces as this title came up, and I watched some of your faces as the song began. And it was interesting to see that some of you were going... (laughs) And others were just beaming and smiling and nodding your heads. And it's exactly what I expected. There is diversity in this room. We each come from our own upbringings, our own perspectives. None of us, I don't think, with the exception of maybe Dakota and maybe Ethan, I don't think any of us were brought up in this community from the time of our birth. So the rest of us all bring our own histories and our own interpretations and our own cultural upbringing, background, blah, 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 into this room as we begin this discussion. So my question to us is, first of all, what's wrong with the song? Tammy. Nothing. Nothing. He's just being, just being real, okay? What did you say? The word if. The word if. Help me to understand what you mean by that. It implies that, I don't know, to me it was saying, if this had happened, then I would believe. There's a, it leaves a doubt whether he believes or he said, if this happens, I would believe. Okay. The thing about the beer instead of a cup of coffee. Okay. But the beer relates to like my past. Okay. My culture, wine. And uh, so that relates to people that are in, that relate to a cup of beer. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, I'm hearing this transition a little bit into the next question that I had, and what's the, the question is, what's right with this song? Tammy said there was nothing wrong with the song. <clears throat> Maggie said that there's something right in the song, in that the person who's coming out of his own culture is expressing a desire to meet with Jesus out of his own culture. Where Maggie would say, I'd like to have a cup of coffee with Jesus, this man is saying, I'd like to have a beer with Jesus. Do you... Do you But let me ask a question. I'm going to put you on the spot. I won't name you because you're being recorded here. But I want to ask you a question because when the song started, you shook your head strongly no. Because of the teaching of our church. Okay. Help me to to understand what you mean by that. Um, Well, uh, we're to keep our bodies holy. Okay. And to me, beer, (laughs) I never cared about beer. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Let me read to you Ephesians, because she brought up this point. I knew it was going to come up at some point in this discussion, so let me bring it up to you now. 
The Bible clearly says, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Write it down. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And what he's saying here is, if you want to have a high, get high on God. Don't get high on alcohol. Now, that doesn't say... Thou shalt not drink alcohol. The Bible does not prohibit the drinking of alcohol. And if you look at the culture in which Jesus lived, it was difficult for them to find, keep, and and, and carry around potable water. And so drinking an alcoholic beverage enabled them to carry their liquid nourishment with them without fear of becoming tainted. It was culturally acceptable for them to sit down over a cup of wine or a cup of beer. And if you do any historical study, you will find that most people drank either a form of wine or a form of beer, depending on what what was available in their community, because... Beer is created from a grain and wine is created from a a fruit, the grapes or whatever fruit that you have available to you. And the bottom line is it's a way to keep your body hydrated in a safe manner because, like I said, you're carrying potable, drinkable liquid because you don't have to fear because the alcohol keeps it safe from any infection or any bacterial growth, etc., etc. Now, am I advocating that all of us go out and buy a a bottle of wine or a a can of beer so that we can stay hydrated? No. That's between you and God, and whatever God tells you is appropriate for your walk with Him, and we'll talk more about that in a little bit. But the bottom line is, there is no biblical prohibition for having a beer with Jesus. And that's the point that I wanted to get to um, in this. There are many, many brothers and sisters of ours who every time they gather around the communion table, lift up a glass of wine to God. And we, we don't look at them and go, oh my goodness, you're not Christian if you're drinking that wine as you drink communion. But we have chosen. Well, no, 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 no. I'm talking about real, real wine. I can tell you a time when I was in, in Korea. I was at, a, at, a, at a, an army chapel. Um, I had been sent there for six weeks. So I was stationed in the Philippines. And this was my very first time in this chapel service ever. And I didn't know their culture. I didn't know their history. I didn't know anything about them. I just came in because that's when chapel was being held. And I was going through the worship service and they bring out the communion elements and they start passing them. And I can smell the wine. And I went, oh God, what do I do? I want to take communion with my brothers and sisters, but I don't drink wine because I told you I wouldn't drink alcohol. What do I do, God? And I grabbed a cup and I said, Lord Jesus, you could turn the, the water into wine. I trust that you could turn this wine into grape juice. I literally did. And when it came time for me to take communion, I drank from the cup and it was grape juice. And I almost jumped out of my seat screaming, hallelujah! I found out later that the chapel had a policy because they had people from all cultures coming into this chapel service that the upper two rows were alcoholic and the bottom two rows on the tray were grape juice. I didn't know that. So the Lord led me to pick the one that would not offend me. Now, do you hear what I just said? He led me to so that I wouldn't be offended. Not so he wouldn't be offended because frankly, I don't think he cares. 
Now, oh my goodness, Nazarene pastor just said God doesn't care if you drink alcohol or not. What I said was, I don't think God cares. It's your own scruples. It's your own issues. And it's what's best for you. And we will talk about that in just a second. Okay? Now, let me read to you some of the quotes that I found about this song. It's a relatively new song. It's not been out very long at all. I mean, like less than five months, less than six months. Um, but um, I couldn't even find online who, the, who holds the copyright so that I could put the official copyright blah, blah, blah on the screen when I put it up. Um, but these are some of the comments that were on the YouTube video of this. This one wrote, This is one beautiful song, and though I'm sure there are folks on both sides of the aisle who will take offense to it, it's truthful, fitting for the times, and has a lovely message. Next one wrote, Have a beer with Jesus. I say amen. (laughs) Another one wrote, I wonder how many people would actually have a beer with Jesus. I sure would. This song makes you think. In this crazy world, songs like this bring you back down to the reality of things. I read a couple of Christian blogs who were reviewing this song. One of them wrote, Sharing a beer with someone is a very special thing. Now, as Maggie said, and as Mary said, it in my life is not part of my culture. I don't say, you want to come over and have a beer? I don't say, let's go out for drinks. It's not who I am. It's never been part of my culture. In the same way that when it's September, the first week of September, I don't get all my equipment out and go hunting for moose. It's not part of my culture. I don't even think about that. It's just not who I am. Does that mean that someone else having that? Mm, could somebody just... Oh, never mind. I can do it from here. Silly machine. There we go. Um... So just because it's not in my culture doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means it's not my culture. So when this person wrote this, they they wrote, sharing a beer with someone is a very special thing. It gave me insight that I didn't have before. It's not offensive when somebody says, you want to come over and have a beer with me? It's an invitation towards hospitality. It's an, and, and this is the other one that I read that was pretty interesting. Another Christian wrote, it's about this guy who wants to have a beer with Jesus. And I know at the outset that it may seem flippant and disrespectful, but this is the way that guys unwind. They sit together and they talk about stuff over a beer. And I was like, you know, reality? I've seen it. This is the time that guys relate. They sit down over a beer. I hate the taste of it, personally. That's one of the reasons I don't drink, is because I don't like the flavor of alcohol. But... That's what I saw when I was in the military. These guys would say, you want to come over for beer? Sure. Now, when I went over, I didn't actually drink beer because I don't like the flavor of beer. And in my own scruples, I don't drink alcohol because I feel like for me, I have to honor God by not drinking alcohol. But I went there to be social. I went there to have a relationship with these people. I went there for interaction with them and to have access to their lives. Now, for those of us who struggled with this whole thought process. Jesus having a beer, having a beer with Jesus, alcohol culture, not part of my life. I want to I address this to you. First of all, 
If you look at the book of Romans, chapter 14, I'm going to read you. It's a little bit lengthy, but it's important that you hear these verses. Romans chapter 14. This is my favorite chapter in the entire Bible. And, in, and I don't have time to read the whole thing, but I do want to read this, this last part of it. Romans 14, starting at verse 12. Each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Hear me. Hear that again. Paul himself says, I am fully convinced, I am convinced being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus. In other words, he prayed about it and God said, this is so. Nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Elsie has told us publicly for years, God told her chocolate is unclean in her life. For her to eat or partake of anything that has chocolate in it, in her heart and mind, she would be violating her relationship with God and therefore she would be sinning. Yes. Now, are you, not, are you not allowed to have chocolate? Would any of you jump up and say, Elsie, I'm joining you because I feel the same way. I think you'd all go, oh, you're on your own, kid. Because <laughs> I like chocolate and it brings pleasure to my life. Okay? Go to the store at any holiday and try and find anything that doesn't have chocolate. It's very difficult. It's there, well, yeah, but you've got to look. It's very difficult to find the alternatives to chocolate. Okay? Now, that's a funny ha-ha, but think about it, folks. For her, it's sin. Go back to, to chapter 15. I mean, chapter 14, verse 15. If your brother or sister is distressed by what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. I would be wrong to go to the store and buy her a box or a bag of Hershey's Kisses. It would be wrong of me. I would be in violation of my relationship with God because I'm harming my sister who has scruples. I don't necessarily agree with her scruples. I don't necessarily understand her scruples. But I know that this is who she is in Christ. And I have to respect that. I have to honor that. And I have to do everything in my power not to cause a stumbling block to her. So I don't buy her chocolate. There are times that I've messed up. Thought she could have white chocolate or thought she could have something. And she'd go, no, there's chocolate in this, Bob. I'm like, oh, sorry, I'll eat it. <laughs> you know? But I mean, it's reality. It's, just, it's, it's, the, it's the life that she has chosen because God has put it on her heart. Now, verse 16. Do not let what you know is good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let, there, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace 
and to mutual edification. This idea of mutual edification is what builds the other person up, what helps them to grow in their walk with Christ. Verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. And this is the passage of scripture, my brothers and sisters, that the church of the Nazarene has leaned heavily on in our stand against alcohol. It is not that alcohol, drinking alcohol is sinful. It is that it is better for us as Christians to, to deprive ourselves of something for the betterment or for the good of someone else. Because there are many, many, many people in this world who cannot drink alcohol safely. There's evidence of it all through the streets of Fairbanks. Go ahead. So many lives have been broken because of that. Exactly. There's one, one more section of scripture that I want to read and then I want to say a couple things and I've got one last thing I want to say. But I agree with you, Maggie, what you just said. There are so many people that it has brought harm to. Number, 1 Corinthians now, if you'll turn with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 to 10. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we don't eat and we're no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all of your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? And what this is talking about, we didn't have time to read all of it. it the, the argument that Paul's making here is that some people think that eating meat that's been sacrificed to an idol is absolutely fine and no problem. And others go, I can't eat that. That was offered to a demon. Well, the person who has the weaker conscience, who has the struggle with it, shouldn't be emboldened to do what they feel is wrong because they see you, the more mature Christian, going, it's nothing wrong with it. This is good meat. So we who are stronger need to be willing to A, not flaunt our strength in front of somebody else, or B, be willing to make a sacrifice on their behalf. So all of this to say, we choose as Nazarenes not to drink alcohol, but that doesn't mean that other Christians can't. Okay? Now that's, that's one part of this whole thing. This is not uh, the whole crux of what I wanted to say. What I wanted to say this morning is this, and I need to, I need to turn to that... Horrible, horrible Facebook, oh my goodness, to read to you a quote and then what I responded to in this quote. Leonard Sweet is a uh, Christian. Uh, he is a person who is prominent in the world today. He's written books. He's a, he's a, a lecturer. He is uh, held in high esteem as far as the church is concerned. And he is quoting from another book that he just read in his blurb on Facebook. This other book that he just read is a book called Jesus, A New Understanding of God's Son. And he, wrote, he, he quoted this section that said, Jesus could preach the highest of ideals. And then when he found someone who fell short of those ideals, he could still treat that person with compassion. That was what made him so different from the Pharisees. They rejected sinners. Jesus went out to embrace those from the Pharisee, whom the Pharisees excommunicated as sinners. Let me read that one more time because it's lengthy. Jesus could preach the highest of ideals 
And then when he found someone who fell short of those ideals, he could still treat that person with compassion. And that was what made him so different from the Pharisees. You see, they rejected sinners. Jesus went out to embrace those whom the Pharisees excommunicated as sinners. Think about that. Think about the stories in the gospel about Jesus and his ministry. What did he do? Is it not true that when Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, climbed up in a tree to see Jesus as he paraded by, Jesus stopped, went to the tree and said, Zacchaeus, I'm inviting myself to your house today. And Zacchaeus went, and he invited all of his friends. Now, who were Zacchaeus' friends? Sinners, tax collectors, people that were social outcasts according to the holy people of Jerusalem or whatever town they were in. And Jesus went into that house and he ate food and he fellowshiped with those people. Oh my goodness. Jesus was in the house of Simon, who was a Pharisee. And while he's in that household, a woman of ill repute came up to him and literally laid down at Jesus' feet and washed his feet with her tears. In addition, it says that she poured out a special ointment and anointed him. And what did it say the Pharisee said? The Pharisee thought in his heart, if this man is really a holy man, if he's really a prophet, if he's really who he says he is, he will know who it is that's touching him. And Jesus, it says in the scripture, says, I knew, he knew what was in the man's heart and he turned to him and he said, a story, and he said, which one do you think was, was, was going to love more? The one that was forgiven this much or the one that was forgiven this much? And Simon said, well, of course, the one that was forgiven more is going to love more. He said, that's what you're seeing happen right here. This woman lived a vile, filthy, nasty life until she interacted with me. And now she's clean before God. And she recognizes the grace that's been poured out on her life. And as a result, she's pouring out her love and devotion to me in a very honorable way. So don't look at who she was. Look at the fact that she loves desperately. And over and over and over again in the story of Jesus, we see this love, this compassion poured out. Look at the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. What did their culture say? The culture said when anyone was caught in the act of adultery, they were to be killed by, the, by stoning. And the leaders of the community grabbed this woman literally out of her bed because it said she was caught in the act of adultery. They literally grabbed her. Now think about this. She was most likely totally naked and just wrapped in the sheet that was on her bed. Drugged through the streets while they let the other person go. Think about that. There had to be two people in that bed for there to be an act of adultery going on. But they grabbed this woman, they drug her through the streets to Jesus for a specific point of trying to trip Jesus up in his teaching. And what did Jesus do? First of all, he humiliated all of those people somehow, some way to the point where they all walked away and dropped the rocks as they walked. And then finally he looked up at the woman who was the sinner and it says that he said to her with compassion... I don't condemn you either. Just don't sin anymore, okay? Go on. I forgive you. But don't do it anymore. And for me, that 
That's the crux. I wrote in my response to Leonard Sweet's comment, I have been pondering this very thought in the early hours today. How do I love without misrepresenting the kingdom? Jesus did, so must I. You see, Jesus would sit down over a beer in a bar with anyone who asked him. He never compromised who he was. He never brought discredit on God or God's kingdom or the work of God in all that he did. He never crossed over into sin. But at the same time, he showed love, compassion, grace, and mercy. And if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If you look at other verses throughout the scriptures, throughout the New Testament, we are commanded as Christians to take on a Christ-like attitude. Your attitude should be exactly the same as it was found in Jesus Christ. I think that's in Philippians 2, but I don't remember exactly where it's at. But the point is this. As Christians, we are to be little Christs. That's what the term Christian means. We're to be little Jesuses. We are to be of the same heart and mind that Jesus was. Love, grace, mercy, compassion, faithfulness, never wavering in the truth, never bringing discredit to the kingdom, always doing what is right and appropriate. Now add that to your own culture and your own history and your own mix. And you got to find what works for you. Yeah, Tim. Well, not in the Bible, he didn't. But I don't, I don't right. doubt. That's what's so difficult for people in the 20th or 21st century that, that they focus on a sinner that he didn't meet in the Bible. Yeah, I honestly or don't know. Cocaine or these other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Yeah. We, we have people in our, in our community, not just in Fairbanks, but in our community, who, are, who deal with just that. That, that, that you know, they're, they're having to literally think, do I have to give up my entire life here in order to protect or take care of my person in my life? Um, and yeah, those are terrible things. But my, my point, my question is, as Christians, where are we in our relation with all of this? Are we the Pharisee who sits back and says, I can't believe anybody would even think about being a Christian and walk into that tavern, that Two Rivers Lodge. Oh my goodness. Okay? 
for how many years of my time here? I can't walk in there. I'm the pastor of the Nazarene church. What do people think? Oh my goodness. One of my people who has been a board member goes into that tavern every Wednesday night to play cribbage? Oh my goodness. Okay? That's my scruples coming out. Is that in the Bible? No. Is it in the Church of the Nazarene Manual? No. It's me, Bob Sugden's own personal issues. My own history, my own struggles, my own how I was discipled into the faith. Because I was discipled into the faith in a very ultra-conservative way. Now, that's me. I've had to get over myself. I've been in that place now numerous times. Still only on two hands. <laughs> in nine years. But the, but the reality is, honestly, I had to get past that. Because... I was invited by someone to go and have a drink. Ha, 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 really? You, you want me to have a drink with you in the bar? Uh, sure. Um, I'll have a Coke. <laughs> really loud so everyone in the room can hear. Don't put a cherry in it. I don't want anybody to think it's not virgin. Okay? My own scruples, again. My own issues. Now, you've got to, again, realize... That wherever you're at in your own walk with Christ is, is mixed in with who you are as a human being and what your history has been and what people have taught you and what your mom and dad taught you. And if you have had an alcoholic person in your life or if you've had a person who has a sexual addiction or if you, whatever, all of these things. I mean, I, I can remember recently that I struggled with somebody who we and I, she and I were, were, were dealing with exactly the same issue, but we were coming from two different perspectives. We're basically saying the same thing, but two different perspectives. And until we came to that understanding that we were really trying to come to the same goal, but we were both seemingly at odds with each other, and we just had to work through all of that. So what I'm saying is, as you are walking your walk of faith, you need to recognize how the enemy is going to try and cause problems for you. If listening to this song made you jump a little bit. I can't believe the pastor's having a song about beer in the church. Then you need to look at what it is inside of you that causes that concern. Now, I'm not negating that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I am saying you need to examine your heart prayerfully through the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Is this something that is who I am at the core of my being and who I need to continue to be? Or is this something that somebody said to me sometime and it just stuck and it really isn't part of what I believe and I need to just let it go? Because the reality is, is that as, as you are interacting with people, that's where you're going to be able to meet them. Now, I'm not saying in a bar. What I'm saying is where they're at, where they're comfortable if somebody says to you, Joni, why don't we go out to the lounge, whatever the name of that lounge is, it's right by you. What's the name of that, that bar that's just like a half a block up from your place? Oasis. The Oasis. Why don't we go to the Oasis after, after work for some drinks, Joni? <gasps> I'll have water because I work with water and that way I'm comfortable, you know? <laughs> the reality. If somebody, I mean, is, has that not happened in the years you've worked there? Yeah. And you don't have to tell us how you handled it, but, but the reality, I mean, I, I saw her sloppy drunk trying to get to her car with the, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But the reality is that's where real life happens. That's where you have the opportunity 
to develop the relationship with the human being that you're opposite from, so that someday maybe you'll have the opportunity to speak the love of Christ into their life. Because they ain't coming into this building. Look, I've been here nine years. The same ones if you keep coming. Not anybody else. The head man. I, I don't doubt that the Holy Spirit is talking to him. I don't doubt it. There's very few people on this earth that God is not that God's already washed his hands of. And it may very well it may very well be that that God will use you at that moment to grab a hold of you know their attention and help them to hear the hear about Christ. But if we are so wrapped up in our own stuff, I can't go into that chocolate factory because oh my goodness, I'll be tempted. One in, down in Anchorage, the Wildberry Chocolate Place. Yeah. Walking, yeah, I know. <laughs> Go ahead, Sonia. Well, I think if you're too, if you're too worried about being like Jesus and offending people or tripping them up that you can't be like Jesus, I think, you know, I think these people are tripping already. You know, I don't think anything you're going to do is going to make them trip and stumble if they're going to be so offended by you reaching out to somebody and being like Jesus. And if that's going to offend them. Well, let's go back to what I said in, in, in Romans. Because I want a perfect example from my own life. Uh, but before we do that, um, uh, oh, I'm in Luke. That's why I can't find it. <laughs> Bible opened up to Luke and not to Romans. I thought it was in Romans 15. Um, Romans 15, I think it's verse 2. It might be verse 9. Um, I can't find it off the top of my head. Paul says in this section of scripture that we must be fully convinced in our own mind. If you do anything out of, I'm not quite sure if this is okay, but I want to do what's right and I really don't want to bother. And so, okay, I'll just do this. You're sinning. Paul said, if you are not acting out of confidence, you know that you know that you know that it's okay between you and God for you to do this then you shouldn't do this. Because if you do it, and you don't have that sense of confidence, you're sinning. And it's in this section right here for chapter 14, chapter 15. I don't have time this morning to, to look it up, and unfortunately I don't know it by, by heart. But let me address what Sonia said. And I'll close with this. I have a friend that I was in the military with. When we first joined the military, we were going through training. And... Um, this person was not Nazarene, but they were Salvation Army, which is very, very close to the Nazarene church in, in everything. I mean, our theology is the same. Our lifestyle is the same. They basically are the same. The only difference is that they don't celebrate communion. That's the only difference between us and them. Um, this person was telling me before he joined the military, he had a friend who would always go out bar hopping. And this friend would always invite my friend to go out bar hopping with him. And my friend always said no. Always. Every single time. Without question. Said no. The night before my friend was to leave to go to basic training. His friend said. This is our last chance. Who knows how long it's going to be before we're ever together again. Can't we go out one time. You don't have to drink. Just have a coke. But just come spend time with me. So my friend thought, you know what? It's my own issue. There's no, I got to get over myself. 
sure, let's go. So my friend went out to a bar with his friend. And then they went to another bar. And the whole time he's drinking Cokes, it's very obvious that he's not drinking alcohol. They're just spending time together. His intent is just to be with his friend. And as the evening wears on, my friend's friend begins to be inebriated. And at some point in the uh, evening, his friend looks at him with tears welling up in his eyes. I can't believe you. I can't believe you. I've known you how many years. And every time I've asked you to go out with me, you've said no. And the one time when I use a persuasive argument to try and pull your heartstrings, you go ahead and say yes. How am I supposed to know what's true and real in my life if you don't even have a solid foundation in your own life and you're the one that says you know about God? And my friend was devastated. Because his convictions had told him not to go. But he convinced himself otherwise because of friendship. and He wasn't fully convinced in his own mind before God. He just did what felt right and expedient in the moment because he didn't want to cause harm. And yeah, what's it going to hurt? And what it hurt was all of the years of God working in this man's life to allow the enemy an opportunity to snatch it away in a second. Now, does that mean he he should never go to a bar again? No. It's in the moment, in the instant, let God, the Holy Spirit, discern and give you the discernment what's appropriate and what's right. But don't do anything unless you're fully convinced that it's the right thing. Prayerfully discern what is right and appropriate. Never act out of, I'm not quite sure, but I guess it's okay, it's not that big of a deal. Because you don't know what's going on in the lives of the person. At the same time, don't be so rigid in your own stuff that you can't believe that anybody could possibly be a Christian and be a Democrat. Oh my goodness. Oh, I just said something political and it's a political season. I'm a bad person. But in reality, I lived that for a number of years. I can't believe anyone could call themselves a Christian and be a Democrat. Good grief. Well, I've met lots of Christians who are Democratic registered as Democrats and I trust their faith and I trust their love and I trust so get over yourself and learn to be Christ-like even if it's amidst amidst and among all of your own history and your own stuff because one of the things that has really bothered me not about you people because you I love but there's some Christians out there that I've seen recently They're pushing people away. They're turning them away from the cause of God, from Jesus' love because of their own issues. And it's not right. And that's what I want to close with to give you some thought for whatever you might do. We're not having community groups yet, so you can talk about it amongst yourselves at some other point. How do you love without misrepresenting the kingdom. Jesus did it, and if you're supposed to be like Christ, then you need to figure out how to do it too. Let's pray. 
Father God, I stepped all over my toes this morning, (laughs) and I probably stepped on some other toes as well, but I believe that you asked me to preach this sermon, and I just trust that it's going to settle down and fall right into the middle of where it needs to be. Ultimately, God, I pray that the people of this congregation will recognize the truth that you want them to live out, that they will indeed grow closer to you and become more Christ-like in their dealings with their world. Bless us, Father. We praise you, Lord. In Jesus' name.